The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, September 12, 2022. You probably caught up on your NFL news and podcasts as you are listening to this with week one underway. Hey, the Chicago Bears won, so the city's happy to start 1-0 on the season. It was a great week for the Chicago White Sox away from home. After shocking the Seattle Mariners to win that series, the White Sox had one more miracle up their sleeve with a ninth inning comeback sandwiched in between two big offensive outbursts that saw 10-plus runs scored thanks to 20-plus hits. Sure, the Sunday game was a clunker, but the White Sox are 72-69 and and have put themselves into second place in the American League Central. They did not get any help from their rival Minnesota Twins over the weekend, and that just adds more pressure on the upcoming White Sox and Cleveland Guardians games, which we'll see one of those games later this week. The White Sox have been running hot as of late. Can they keep the good vibes going? Is more help on the way? Well, joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, it was a good week for the White Sox, but you got a chance to go visit Project Birmingham over the weekend. How was Beham? Good. It's always a pleasure to go there. But uh, my first impression and I think my lasting impression of Project Birmingham is it's a lot of bodies. In the dugout and the batting cages, just a lot of people, like a lot of coaches, a lot of on-hand staff. To make it work, like you can see why teams haven't tried it. Uh, you can see why you know it hasn't occurred to them to put all their prospects in one place because it's a lot of bodies, a lot of lockers, a lot of uh, you know arrangements that have to be made. Like road teams are not making the same arrangements that they're made uh, uh, or, or that are made for the Barons at uh, Regions Field. So yeah, just a lot of people. How does that work for road games for the Barons then? If it's a lot of people, I mean that's a lot more hotel rooms. Yeah, that's just as you mentioned, just a lot. Now, just thinking about as far as the coordination, because there was so much question going into the season about the living conditions for the White Sox minor leaguers. And and they even got called out at the beginning of the season that their living conditions were subpar compared to other organizations 
uh, for Major League Baseball supplying to their minor leaguers. I wonder how that's working out in Birmingham when you add more people to the infrastructure. Well, I think in that case, given that they're like two to three week stays for a lot of these prospects, I imagine they're just using hotel rooms because I think there is like an amount of time uh, where they can use extended stay arrangements to where that doesn't like throw any flags because you know that that happens all the time with prospects coming up and down and filling some spots that you know just two weeks isn't bad it's when they're getting like a month plus and they're still at the residence in that i think you know there's a little bit of uh, a raised eye but i think when they go on the road it's a lot less support staff like they don't have the extra field time and the extra cage time that they have at regions field like they can they basically have full Reign of the park outside of the limited window where the visiting team takes batting practice. So between the the cages behind right field and the extra time on the field, like uh, for day games, sorry, during the day for night games, that uh, those extra coaches can be put to use. But then when they go on the road, I imagine all the players are there, or at least most of the players are there, maybe the ones who aren't going to be starting that week. Uh, Pitching-wise, who are on the developmental list might not make the trip. Um, but otherwise, I imagine it's mostly players and the coaches get whittled down to maybe like one or two extra. In the upcoming weeks or even months, I'm also looking forward to Mike Rakin and James Fox from the Future Sox podcast, which remember to subscribe and listen to their new episodes that come out on Tuesday. Whether or not this is a, this is a good idea. Like, is this producing good results? It's too soon to tell. And I see the highlights. Like, Colson Montgomery hit a grand slam. That was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> is see cool. That. that was a, my first time seeing Montgomery in person. And that was a, a nice first impression. Yeah. Well, that, that is a great first impression then, uh, seeing the number one White Sox prospect in the farm system. That's where I, I can't tell yet if this is a good idea, if this, if this idea is producing good results. Because if it is producing good results, then it will be a good idea. It, it's too soon. But as you mentioned, when, when you tell me that you're there in person and it's a lot of people, it's got to be adding a lot of stress to the infrastructure, especially for the Birmingham Barons support staff. Yeah, I think, you know, end of the season, it's a bit easier. I think if they... Uh, took on this project without like a finish line in mind. Like, you know, if, if they did it like in mid-May and say like, oh, well, this might last till July, who knows? Like then they might be tearing their hair out. But I think uh, for the time being, you know, otherwise it'd be like the end of the season of an, you know, they're below 500, not playing for any kind of Southern League championship or anything. So, you know, it would be normally a humdrum end of the season schools out or sorry, schools back in. So you don't have the, you know, normal weekday or weekend attendance from, you know, kids groups. Uh, you know, the, the attendance was down to 3000, which I think was maybe like twice the amount of people in the dugout. You know, there, there's a case where, you know, this might be a refreshing, you know, change of pace to have all these uh, prospects and interest on hand, but it is a lot of work too. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you yeah, know, at the end of the year too, with all the seasonal employees that the Barons have, you know, they're, they're a little bit shorthanded too. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strain, but I think the novelty was enough. A lot of people were, you know, that I talked to were you know interested in seeing Colson Montgomery and seeing West Cath and seeing, uh, you know, uh, Norhe Vera, like all these guys they've heard a lot about. I, I think it was cool for them to be able to get a look in advance. Um, yeah, I, I think the, 
They'd rather be Birmingham than be Winston-Salem, who you know, are down to nobody right now because Winston-Salem, uh, you know, they sent all their players up to Birmingham. And anybody who might have normally gotten the promotion from Kannapolis to Winston-Salem went from Kannapolis to, uh, to Birmingham and said, so I think they'd rather be in their position than what the Dash are going through to where like they're going through the motions and have nobody of interest. So, yeah, I think we're seeing a study in contrast between high A and double A. It is fascinating. And again, we'll have better insight with the weeks and months to come. And again, remember to subscribe to the Future Sox podcast with Mike Rakin and James Fox. We're going to be recapping what happened in Oakland in a moment, but let's talk about the most popular topic regarding the Chicago White Sox, Jim. Tony La Russa. Yep. Yay. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So Tony La Russa flew back to Oakland to participate in Dave Stewart's retirement ceremony. I did not know that his number had yet to be retired by the Oakland Athletics, as number 34 has been reti- retired twice now by Oakland, once for Raleigh Fingers and now for Dave Stewart. And Tony La Russa visited with the team on Sunday and spoke with reporters, and this comes from Janie McCulley, who is a Associated Press reporter that follows the Oakland Athletics out in the Bay Area, and she tweeted, White Sox manager Tony La Russa confirms to me he had a pacemaker inserted for his heart. He is grateful for having undergone a relatively, quote, simple procedure and is coming along well, working to regain his strength. It's unclear when he'll be ready to manage again. That is the tweet from the reporter Janie McCauley. LaRussa also said, speaking to other beat reporters, that he doesn't want to be a distraction and won't wear the uniform until he gets clearance from his doctors. Jim, during the White Sox postgame show on Sunday, Ozzy Guillen mentioned that this will be a distraction because there's no certainty to LaRussa's situation. Only his doctors know if or when he'll be healthy enough to manage again. Until then, everyone will be talking about what happens if Tony returns, and that's a big if. Here's my lingering thought. Is there any way to make this situation certain? Is there any benefit to having someone from the White Sox front office say, when Tony gets clearance, he's the manager and will continue managing, and we're all waiting for him to get medical clearance? Or the other way around, we are going with Miguel Cairo for the rest of 2022, with the hopes of Tony Russa being available in 2023. It's funny, you know, Ozzy should, he knows firsthand how the status of a manager can be very distracting for a team in September during his last year at the White Sox when he basically let his contract situation uh, dangle over everything as the White Sox slipped away from contention. But have the White Sox confirmed themselves that Larusa had a heart procedure? Like that, that that was the issue? Like I haven't seen that come from the White Sox. I've seen Bob Nightingale say it, and then every White Sox reporter who mentioned the heart thing attributed it to Nightingale, you know, or, you know, just kind of vague reports or reportedly, but they didn't actually say the White Sox said it. Nightingale said the team announced it, but no other beat reporter who gets all the information via announcements confirmed that. I'm looking through the White Sox releases, uh, their latest release update on manager Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRusso's team of doctors has cleared the Chicago White Sox manager to travel to Oakland to participate in Sunday's pregame ceremony of retiring Dave Stewart's uniform number for the Oakland Athletics. LaRusso's doctors have not yet cleared his return to the dugout as an active manager. LaRusso will travel with the team to Chicago 
following Sunday's game in Oakland. So no, they have yet to confirm that's an issue with his heart. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's confirming now because if Larusa says it, <laughs> I guess it's you know he would be the one to confirm it anyway. But yeah, just the whole way they've handled it is weird. And you know I understood it in the first like twenty four to seventy two hours because like say if they have you know a partial update, but the prognosis or the timetable could vary wildly based on that initial doctor's consult in Phoenix. You know, I could see it, there not being a point to saying like Larusa has a heart issue. We don't know the extent of it yet. We'll let you know. And then like, if it comes out that like, oh, he's fine to manage again, or he's going to be done for the rest of his career. Like if those are the options on the table, like the spectrum of options, there might not be a point to like trying to put a timetable on or even like sending Rick Hahn out there to say like, I don't know about a timetable if they're going to resolve the issue uh, in in short enough order. But the fact that, you know, he's been out for 11, 12 games now, uh, depending on how you count it and whether Mm -hmm. you count, I don't put that first loss on Miguel Cairo because like he didn't know he was managing until a couple hours in advance. Like, you know, Larusa was there and in uniform. So I have a hard time putting that on him, but it's uh, it's weird that the White Sox have not said like, hey, it's a heart thing, and and they still haven't really said it, even though Larusa's confirmed it now. It's it's unusual to me, and the fact that Rick Hahn hasn't had like a media conference or even like a conference call since the White Sox are on the road, saying like, okay, you know the the issue is known now. Here's a little bit about what we think about Miguel Cairo. Like they've never said like what they think about Miguel Cairo as even an interim manager, whether he's managing like five games or 15 or the rest of the season. Like it just, there's been no input from the White Sox just letting everybody know who this anonymous member of the coaching staff is taking over the team at the most important juncture of the season. So it's been weird all around. And you would think at some point it'd be in the White Sox interest to say like, this is the situation. We still don't know. Like what Tony said is true. <laughs> like it'd just be nice to kind of back it up. You know, just that, that's why I really don't know. Like if there's anything to read into the fact that they have not come out and said anything is like, does Jerry Reinsdorf want Larusa managing the team as quickly as possible? And Rick Hahn would rather have Miguel Cairo take it the rest of the way. Like, is there disagreement internally over who wants what return? Uh, when you have this kind of tangled chain of command where even from day one, you know, there was some, you know, Rick Hahn was using the passive voice to talk about how, uh, or indicate how little he supported the hiring. And then you had, uh, you know, when the DUI stuff came out and Bob Nightingale was saying that Rick Hahn didn't know about the, uh, DUI in charge until everybody else did. Like when you have this tangled chain of command and when you have, uh, you don't have a strong sense of who's actually in charge when it comes to LaRusa, like, and, and the White Sox refuse to fill in some blanks themselves. Like there are a lot of ways you can take those blanks. So, it is a distraction just because the White Sox refuse to add any clarity on their end. Yeah, it seems like it's an organization filled with middle managers and everything is being laid at the table or the desk of Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry doesn't really talk mm-hmm. in the public at all. Like he just doesn't do it. And if he does, it's like for a documentary regarding Michael Jordan. Like that's the only time that we really see Jerry Reinsdorf speak in front of a camera. So, okay, so I guess to my question, is there any way to make this situation certain? The answer is not with the current arrangement with the White Sox. Yeah, I think it would have to be like Larusa ruling himself out. Like that seems like the way it's going to have to go. Why do they do this? This is so similar to Robin Ventura. Yeah. Why do they continue going down this path? I don't know. Like, yeah, nobody like 
you know, we had this discussion also like with the training staff or like with the, you know, injuries and, and lack of clarity around somebody's status. And is he in, is he out? Is he on the IL? Is he ever going to like, should they have put him on the IL by now? If he's been mostly inactive for 10 days, like we have this discussion where it just seems like there's a lack of adults. E either the person in charge is really just not wanting to make decisions uh, and, and, and it is creating some kind of gridlock uh, or a bottleneck because, uh, you know, the, the person in charge, whether it's Rick Hahn, you know, LaRusso, what have you, just does not want to place people on the IL. And so the roster just kind of goes to rot in two places. Like th this is kind of that equivalent, but with the managerial situation to where, you know, LaRusso isn't on the IL, but he's also unavailable or day to day every single day aren't we all and yes <laughs> <laughs> just i guess it's fitting and it's not surprising but it's also just reflective of like yeah it's and it's also another case of the disconnect too to where well i guess it kind of reminds me a little bit like you have the overlapping news stories of the queen uh you know her dying and, and the entire thing they have in place for when the queen dies and the transfer of power and the bbc uh broadcaster switching to black suits as a as a signal that the news is coming and just all you know the 27 step process for the transfer of power and these signs and you know it's it's one thing like when the entire nation is invested in this monarchy and you have like you know the the uh and she's been around for 76 years and uh you know some people have never known anybody else in this position and you can understand how people get attached but like with tony Larusa, like there's a there's a major disconnect between the ownership and everybody else because you know i i think when it comes to Larusa, like people care people have like a, a a general amount of humanity to where like they, they want to make sure he's okay. And they want to know if it's like, you know, serious or like, you know, if he's in, you know, if it's endangering his health or like if how critical his condition is. And they want to make sure like that, you know, nothing happens to him. Yeah. They by and large, you might get some extreme cases one way or another that might, you know, be a lot more callous about it. But generally speaking, like people don't want to see Tony LaRusa leave because his health doesn't allow him to, uh, not to fill, fill position. But I mean, this, you know, one way or another, this creates an opportunity to have a change of leadership for a team that needed a change of leadership. And the White Sox like refuse to do it. And everybody else, like I would say, what, 98% of people inside the, maybe not inside the organization, but maybe, uh, but definitely outside the organization, just want the White Sox to move on and, and make a call. And the White Sox are just handling this so preciously and jealously. And, you know, it just shows like just how disconnected the mo uppermost levels of the White Sox organization are from everybody else uh, definitely following the team, maybe inside the organization as well, who were never attached to LaRusse to begin with. Well, let's keep these guys away from the 26 to 28 players in the dugout because that is a very depressing conversation that we just had, Jim, <laughs> uh, regarding trying to answer the question or the thought that I had of if there's any way to provide certainty. So the... The short of it is no, but for the White Sox, they did have a great West Coast trip. They went five and two, visiting Seattle and Oakland. Again, they are seventy-two and sixty-nine. They're two and a half games back at Cleveland. They are firmly second place in the American League Central. They are two games ahead of the Minnesota Twins. Elvis Andrews had his revenge series. He had a big series for the White Sox, hitting two homers, driving in seven RBIs. He had the game-winning hit in the ninth inning in Game Two. Aloy Jimenez continues to mash. He had eight hits in the series, hitting two home runs. And Jim, with this particular series, again, 
the dramatic comeback, scoring five runs in the ninth inning to steal that victory. That game was sandwiched in between two games where the White Sox scored 10 or 10 plus runs and they had 20 plus hits. This entire week, the offense seems to be picking it up, and I think that they're performing according to our preseason expectations. It's better late than never, and it's coming late, but the White Sox offense has finally arrived. Yeah, and it's uneven, which I think is, you know, what we expected. I thought we'd see, you know, some games where they explode and some games where, you know, whether it's a good right-handed pitcher, whether it's their uh, lack of plate discipline up and down the lineup to where, like, they can just be easy outs for 27 outs at a time. Like, this is kind of what we thought. 10 runs, uh, you know, 14 runs, five runs, hard-earned, getting shut down for uh, getting shut out, you know, three runs. 12, like just, you know, I, I expected we, that kind of up and down performance from the White Sox all year because they have the, or we should say they had the power uh, in them uh, <laughs> for the first five months. They didn't have that power, but you know, you look up and down the lineup, there should be homers or the possibility of homers from basically every spot, more or less. And uh, you know, you should get these outbursts that, uh, you know, maybe you wouldn't expect from seven through nine while three through five go quiet because they can be held in check from time to time. And, so, yeah, it is reassuring that uh, this team and, and the offense and the lack of power, just like it wasn't a, a mirage. Like it wasn't like completely imagined by us or even like the algorithms, you know, like Zips and Pakoda, like they saw an uneven but, you know, powerful lineup that, uh, you know, might be deficient in some areas, but strong in other areas. And I think, you know, a lot of the projections were, you know, whether they were unimpressive, they mostly stemmed from, pitching depth versus the amount of runs that this lineup could score. So I guess, you know, I'm just mostly, mostly reassured that like, okay, this wasn't just, it was never there to begin with because when you start having that thought and you realize like, okay, well next year, let's say the white Sox project to 87 wins and they they're projected to score like the fifth most runs in the American league. Can you believe that (laughs) if they never, if that form never showed at any point during a six month season. So, you know, regardless of what happens, uh, because as we saw this weekend with the uh, Guardians sweeping the Twins, that the White Sox can go three and one and lose a half game. Like they're not in control of their destiny. And uh, the extent that they can make up ground in the Central is contingent on whether Cleveland allows them to. They're at this point where they dug themselves a hole and let's see if uh, they can crawl out of it and whether the Guardians will allow them to. But there is a little bit of comfort, even if they don't make the postseason, just knowing that, like, a guy like Aloy Jimenez uh, has the power that we thought he had. And that, you know, the uh, like AJ Pollock wasn't a complete no show in the event that he's around next year. Like those are at least a little bit comforting, or at least you, know, you can bank on them a little bit as you go into planning next year's roster. I know it's a popular topic or idea heading into the off season, but I have changed my position. I'm citing to not trading Aloy Jimenez in the off season. And a big reason why is that since the All-Star break, the White Sox have played 48 games. Eloy's played 46 of them. He's hit 10 home runs. He's driven in 29 RBIs. He's hitting 363 with a 433 on base percentage and selecting 592 since the All-Star break. So he's played in 96% of the games. That's 155 games out of 162-game stretch. Yes, a lot of this has been DHing, but that's what we've been asking for. His full season pace, counting numbers wise, would be 34 home runs and 98 RBIs. No one else in this team is even close to those numbers for the full mm-hmm. season. 
Uh, Jose Abreu is not even close to those numbers. Andrew Vaughn is not even close to those numbers. Aloy Jimenez may lead the team in home runs hit before this season is done. Uh, and he probably would play like half the games that Jose Abreu did. So at this moment, with the way Aloy's been hitting, I could see the argument of, wait, Josh, he is really boosting his trade value. And if a team calls, you should really listen but I'm citing to and still believing, man, if you can get 140 games out of Aloy Jimenez, he can still produce a monster season. And he's the guy that you want to be your cleanup hitter in a contending lineup. Like, I still believe in that. So that's why I'm citing to the cart where you're not trading Aloy Jimenez. But I understand the argument can be made that, wow, he's really boosting his trade value. Yeah, I still listen to deals just because it's fun watching Jimenez when he's healthy uh, and, and fully operational. The question is, how often will he be fully operational in a given season? And I think there is a stronger argument to make because he, you know, he is showing more restraint in the field. He is showing more, you know, like, you know, I guess good or bad, showing more restraint on the base paths because a lot of White Sox are showing more restraint on the base paths. But he's, you know, I, I guess if you're trying to project whether he'll get hurt again, it seems like he has absorbed some of those very hard-earned lessons. But yeah, that's that's still what it comes down to me is just, can you count on him playing 120 games in a season and then from there 140? Uh, because, you know, the, the margins are thin when it comes to the White Sox and just the ability to put up runs while p- playing decent defense across the outfield. But I'm probably going to toss up the question again. Like on September 2nd, I wrote, like, who will lead the 2022 White Sox and homers? And at that point, uh, Vaughn was first with 15 and Jimenez had eight. And I put Jimenez on the voting uh, on the ballot and he got 1.98%. And now. So short of 2%. <laughs> yeah. And Vaughn got 52%. And now he's closing the gap. So I might toss out that question again just to see like how much ground has he made up? And because, yeah, I, I wrote at the time that, uh, yeah, I put him in the honorable mentions because, yeah, I even ruled him out. And I said, like, he's the most likely candidate to hit 10 in a month. Uh, but, you know, um, it's just a matter of can he stay in the lineup. But so far, he's staying in the lineup and he's doing that 10 in a month thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing just exactly how much the sentiment has shifted uh, when it comes to that question. On the pitching side, Dylan Cease, ho-hum, another six scoreless innings from Dylan Cease at a big blowout win where the White Sox won 14 to two. Uh, not as sharp as he looked at home against the Minnesota Twins, but still very effective. Lucas Giolito had a good start, even though his overall stuff was ticks below his season average. He only allowed three earned runs over six innings. He didn't get the win because, again, the White Sox came back in that ninth inning. Lance Lynn gave up two runs, but they came off errors, so he did not allow an earned run. That's important, Jim, because the season mm-hmm. ERA is at 4.07, so at his next start against Detroit, he's got a chance to dip below four. And his season ERA plus is at 98. We're just 10 points away from me winning a steak dinner. This is happening. I feel it in my bones. Everybody hop on the bandwagon. Lance Lynn's going to win me a ribeye. 
I didn't get to see it start. That was the Project Birmingham start. But uh, yeah, I, I saw the run score and then I immediately checked the earned run column just to see because I know you're Thank you, you need every <laughs> scoreless inning possible to close that gap. And I was like, well, that's good for Josh. But I, I also checked out. I, I went to uh, you know his his uh, pitch data on Baseball Savant just to see how many curveballs he threw. And he threw only five just to see, you know, see if I needed to follow up the post I wrote about his curveball in any meaningful way. And it seemed like, nope, he was content just to throw fastballs and cutters. They didn't really challenge him and make him dig deep into his bag of tricks i i did hold my breath because we had the watch party on pitch nine he's running over to first base on a grounder to help cover first and he like keels over for a moment and it just felt like oh no there's something wrong with the hamstring there's something with the knee he's gonna have to leave the game the trainers come out this is terrible and he toughed it out he was even hitting 95 miles per hour uh, with his fastballs at time, obviously not as sharp uh, as he's dealing with whatever he was dealing with, with the lower half, but Lance Lynn toughs it out and was really good. Uh, yeah. The unearned runs. I mean, Josh Harrison <laughs> just compounding problems. Harrison had a really good game offensively. He had a very bad game defensively committing multiple errors. He's had a rough game. like month or so. Yeah, like defensively, as as defense, it's not good. You know, yeah, he's he's made a lot of uh, mistakes. Uh, his numbers are still good on the whole when it comes to you know, the metrics and such, but they they've been popping up on him recently. They have uh, the ball is sneaking up on him, especially when he's moving to his left. And then Johnny Cueto got beat up, and Cueto just didn't look right from the start. Hopefully, that's a game that he could toss off to the side and he can get back to what his form has been for the White Sox for the most part this season. That was the first start in 2022 that Johnny Cueto did not go more than five innings. It seems like, you know, with the way they handled him in that start, it seems, you know, with Cueto that they just figure he's going to. Like, they were just, that, that inning as it got away from him, they just figured, like, well, he's, well, he's got to throw five. Yeah, that that's, you know, they didn't kind of jump in to help him out at all, and I know that there was a drop pop-up too, but just... It was funny, like Gordon Beckham mentioned the first inning that it was like, I think he used the phrase laissez-faire yes. to describe just how like, you know, he's kind of throwing 88 and such and just trying to see if he could warm himself up to it. Beckham's actually been, I'm curious about your thoughts, but like Beckham has been better uh, year over year. Like he's improved and it might be like the stakes of the game. Like last year, like a lot of the games were meaningless for the White Sox because they weren't playing for anything. The division was wrapped up, but you know, maybe it's the, maybe he's, re, you know, listened to some notes or maybe he and Jason Benetti have heard some notes about like how goofy they got last year and, uh, you know, wrapped up with their own banter, but he, he's been good about noticing some things, uh, before they enter, I guess the game action in a meaningful way, which I think is nice to hear if he's going to be this kind of third, third man in on the broadcast. Like it's nice to see some strides from him. Yeah. He's not Steve stone in predicting things that will happen in the very next pitch or within two pitches, but he's got a lot of knowledge about the game. And I do think that he will be a good color commentator. I think he will be good on TV. Is that with the white Sox? I'm not exactly sure yet. I think maybe be better suited for him if it was like with the Atlanta Braves or even like SEC baseball. There's a lot of money in SEC baseball these days. And, you know, he can lend his knowledge and, of course, his experience playing for the Georgia Bulldogs uh, in, in that format. But I do think that Gordon Beckham has staying power in television broadcasting. And I, I thought he did a good job uh, on the road yeah. trip. Yeah, I think he just needs to understand or get more comfortable with silence. 
because uh, I, I think he has a tendency to fill dead air. And even if he just repeats the point he just made, whereas, you know, Stone will let the action breathe. He, he knows like when he said enough. And I think Beckham's still working on that. But uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that he made the stride just because uh, I wasn't sure if he was just around. And, and the White Sox were like, oh, just go with Phil because you, you guys get along. And no, he seems to be taking it seriously. And that uh, uh, the White Sox are also seemingly providing him some feedback. Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we have an update on Tim Anderson and we're going to look at the American League Central, the state of the American League Central, and preview the upcoming series as the Colorado Rockies visit the South Side this week. Hey, it's Mike Rankin here, lead editor at FutureSox.com. And James Fox here, senior editor at FutureSox.com. We've got you covered on all things related to the White Sox minors and the MLB draft. James Fox works with our Mike Rankin. They do a great podcast together. It's really a highlight of my week to hear that on Tuesdays. Thank you. Join us every Tuesday on the Future Sox podcast, wherever you get your podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network and SoxMachine.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. We have an update regarding Tim Anderson. And it's been reported that Tim Anderson this week is going to be seeing a specialist to decide if his hand is ready to start rehabbing. If he gets the clearance to rehab, we may see him in Charlotte soon, starting to play in rehab games and getting his hand ready to go to help the White Sox before the regular season ends. And Jim, other than Tony La Russa, this has also been a very popular topic 
I get this question asked every single day. You are on 670 to score with Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes. They asked you this question, and I feel like this is a daily occurrence until Tim Anderson does return. The answer for me hasn't changed regarding what will the White Sox do when Anderson returns, especially with how well Elvis Andrews has been playing. And for me, it's I don't know. I, I need to see Anderson rehab and hit the ball well to convince me moving the hot hand, which is Andrews, out of the lineup or out of the shortstop position. Do you still have that same feeling or has your mind changed with the news that maybe Anderson is coming back sooner than later? No, it's still the same. I, I think I would be maybe more bullish on Anderson if he looked like himself right before the injury. But, you know, as we talked about ever since he came back from the uh, IL for the groin problem, like he was playing like Alcides Escobar, like, you know, just hitting in the two forties, two fifties, OBP of two eighty, no power, you know, not really a factor on the base paths. And if he's still that guy, but with a hand surgery, then that doesn't make him any more likely to provide an impact. You know, whereas we're seeing Andrews just, you know, he's not, you know, I think both or neither player, I should say, is anybody's quintessential leadoff, man. Like they don't really have the on-base skills, the walk drawing ability, the, they're not, you know, huge stolen base threats, or at least Anderson hasn't been since the groin injury. But, you know, with Andrews, we're at least seeing with him just how it looks when a major league hitter uh, gets, you know, more at bats than somebody like Romy Gonzalez or Sebi Zavala or Josh Harrison, like, you know, guys who are either, you know, working their way into major league form or just, you know, a bench player. Like he's an everyday player. He looks like an everyday player. And so when he gets four at bats a game while the bench guys get three, that's generally a good batting order. Or it's like good enough. You know, batting orders are typically a fickle anyway. So yeah, that's just my, my ruling principle is just have the major league hitters getting more at bats than the guys who are questionable. Uh, and Anderson just, you know, for a long period looked like one of those questionable guys. And I, I know the argument is that he's, you know, the, he's been the shortstop. He's a team leader. He's a, he's too important to move. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. And I know that the White Sox also love the status quo or they're very resistant from changing it on a whim. So coming full circle from our conversation to start the yes, show, um, you know, so I'm inclined to say like, yeah, Anderson will play shortstop, but the. You know, the thing I mentioned and the thing that, you know, when we're watching, you know, Anderson, if he's rehabbing in minor league games is like, you know, neither of them have experience playing second base. So if you're looking for one guy to make that move on the other side of the bag, Anderson could do that in games that don't count or at least you don't count. And, you know, like Charlotte's not playing for anything. Uh, you know, they're well out of the postseason race in the International League. You know, they don't really have anybody they're blocking. You know, you know, Yolbert Sanchez can move over like he can, you know, he's a utility infielder type. So he can play shorter third or DH like you don't have to worry about reps for him. So if they wanted to get one of their shortstops experience at second, it'd be a lot easier for Anderson to get that while he's rehabbing and, and just get a few games there to understand the angles and crossing the bag from that side. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it should take like, you know, more than a few games to understand what they're dealing with, but that would be the way to do it. If you didn't care about which one played shortstop, I know Andrews is just, he just got here. He's the new guy. And he said that he's just happy to play for a contender. So he'll do whatever the white Sox ask of him. So I'm expecting that he'll be the one shifted, but if you're looking at just in terms of who's looked more like himself, Andrews looks more like himself than Anderson did. And then if you're looking at who can get more preparation for playing second, Anderson would be the guy who could get those reps. So that's why I'm keeping an open mind, even if everything historically points to the White Sox keeping Anderson in shortstop. 
Anderson in 79 games in 2022 has six home runs and 25 RBIs. Elvis Andrews in 22 games with the White Sox has five home runs and 20 RBIs. <laughs> yeah. The thing that Tim Anderson, and I mentioned this in the watch party, and if you didn't get a chance to participate in the watch party, I will repeat this point. The one thing that Tim Anderson needs to take out of missing this action and watching Elvis Andrews because he has been traveling with the team and he's been in the dugout is you are replaceable. Tim Anderson's not irreplaceable. Now, at the beginning of the season, I would have said he's irreplaceable because the White Sox don't have anyone in the farm system that's, you know, coming up quickly through the system to challenge Tim Anderson at shortstop. But when they added Elvis Andrews, someone that is a major league shortstop, and Andrews has been on fire, and maybe playing for a contender has sparked something in him, a former all-star shortstop, someone that has had big postseason moments with the Texas Rangers in the early 2010s. I mean, Andrews has been a huge boost for the Chicago White Sox offense that we talked about earlier. I'm hoping... That sparks something in Tim Anderson because, boy, his approach after Memorial Day sucked. (laughs) I hated it. I I was getting fed up with him just searching for singles to right field. Like, Tim Anderson wants to be known as one of, if not the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. And I'm sorry, Timmy, but there's a lot of shortstops now that hit 310 and they have 50-plus extra base hits in a season. Your approach since Memorial Day was terrible. So when you do come back, and even looking ahead to 2023, when you realize, oh my gosh, this contract I signed is really biting me in the butt now because I'm turning 30 years old and I'm getting paid half of what I should be getting if I was a free agent out in the open market, that you kind of need to start hitting like Elvis Andrews does. And we need to see a lot more power from Tim Anderson moving forward. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, well, he, you know, he has been hitting like Elvis Andrews typically hits. <laughs> but, uh, the, 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 uh, the tables have turned. Yeah, it's uh, you know, with Anderson in his plate approach. Like, I just wonder. And that's why I keep like setting the injury and coming off the IL. It's just like it could be another case where just bringing back a guy who doesn't have legs. And so he has to settle for those singles because he doesn't have the base to turn a ball around with authority at the pole field, like the way we, that we saw with you know, Luis Robert when he was swinging with one hand and the uh, way A.J. Pollock coming off the injured list uh, without a rehab stint. Like the White Sox have rushed guys back without, you know, Yohan Mikado was another one, Yasmani Grandol. Like you can count all the examples, you need more than one hand to count all the examples of guys who came back from the injured list and didn't really have a strong base. And Anderson just got really, you know, I'd say handsy with his approach, just, you know, just kind of putting the bat out there, uh, redirecting pitches to, you know, the opposite field most of the time, like you said. And, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's that, that's not an impact approach. Like, you know, when Anderson's at the top of the game, he hits like 330. right now his average is down to 301. Um, but you know, it's 330, and, and, you know, maybe you'd like to see more power, but there is power there. It's in doubles. Sometimes it's a homer. If he gets like a, a cookie or Matt Boyd's pitching and he'll put it over the wall, you know, to the left side. But when that power disappeared and when that ability to just kind of pop one out, uh, eluded him or, or disappeared on him, evaporated, you know, there was no extra element that made him special. It was very much a, 
like Yolbert Sanchez could do the same thing. Like Yolbert Sanchez is a, I call him like a handsy hitter. Like the just, there isn't a whole lot of lower body in his swing. It's more like just trying to get the barrel to where it needs to be and, and, you know, get some decent exit velocity over the infielder's head and then, uh, you know, take your single, maybe a double. And that's kind of what Anderson was doing. And that is replaceable from within that guy, that Alcides Escobar type. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's not like Anderson thinking like, Right field is always a great idea. Hopefully it's more like I'm playing because I want to be in the lineup and nobody is here to tell me that I shouldn't be or that I need two more weeks to completely rest it. If he comes back, White Sox need 2020, 2021 Tim Anderson, not since Memorial Day, Tim Anderson. And that's majority of his season this year. He started the season so well. So that's, that, that again, yeah. this all boils down to when you guys ask us what's going to happen when Tim Anderson returns. What kind of Tim Anderson are the White Sox getting? Because if it's still the Tim Anderson since Memorial Day weekend, I would say sit, sit it out. Sit out the rest of the 2022 season because he was a zero-war player. Like, there's just no benefit. But... If something has sparked in him that he needs to elevate his game, and if you can get that type of Tim Anderson to come back, that is a special player that's one of the best players in Major League Baseball, and that would be a huge boost for the Chicago White Sox. But we're all waiting, and we're going to get word later this week And what is Tim Anderson's timetable? If he gets the clearance to rehab, we know that he'll be returning before the regular season ends. And then the White Sox are going to have to make a decision. And unfortunately, that decision is probably going to have to fall in the laps of interim manager Miguel Cairo because nobody else wants to make decisions for the Chicago White Sox right now. All right, so let's take a look at the state of the American League Central. Again, the White Sox are two and a half games back of the Cleveland Guardians, which the Guardians are 73 and 65. The Minnesota Twins, after getting swept at home by Cleveland, have fallen below 500. They are 69 and 70. They're four and a half games back at Cleveland. They're two games back of the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox are seven games back of the wild card. The Twins are nine games back of the wild card. Let's face it, the wild card is no longer an option for either the White Sox or the Minnesota Twins. And Jim, I'm honestly, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the Minnesota Twins couldn't even win one game at home against the Guardians. And they are in this position where they're now in a distant third place behind the White Sox and the Guardians. Are you surprised what happened in Minneapolis over the weekend? To an extent, but reading some of the coverage around the Twins and just, they're fighting a two-front war. I think, you know, when you hear about the White Sox injury problems, like the Twins have had their injury problems plus like, what, 30% in terms of just bodies and days lost and and, and roster spots uh, and roles on the depth charts uh, profoundly affected by absences. You know, we talked about it over the course of weeks, especially after the uh, Twins uh, saw Wes Johnson, their pitching coach, leave for LSU, that, you know, I mentioned that I was really looking, you know, forward uh, to seeing how that unfolded because the Twins pitching staff was very delicate, or it seemed like it was, you know, they're, they're trying to get value out of guys who maybe couldn't face the road, uh, a lineup more than twice, and really having a bullpen that was like, five, six guys deep in terms of pitchers who could handle the 
fifth, sixth, seventh innings of close games, or like they're really hoping like Tyler Duffy uh, could be one of those guys who has like, you know, really good breaking stuff and can be better than his numbers have shown. And, you know, between the injuries, like, you know, guys like Bailey Ober missing time and you had, uh, you know, uh, Tyler Maley come in as a reinforcement and he's not looked like himself. Like they've, you know, their plan A's have fallen through when it comes to their rotation. Their plan B's have gotten hurt and they're in a position like Rocco Baldelli is getting a lot of heat because his starters aren't going long enough, but also the bullpen's bad. So it's like there's no, uh, yeah, their, their numbers the third time through the order are as bad as you might think for a team that's really cautious about exposing their starters and to the line third time through. And as we saw at the White Sox, the Twins are facing the same thing. Like they're stuck because the offense isn't providing runs to give them a cushion to let their starters work a third time through uh, because every game they're playing is like a one run game or tied or they're down one to where like they can't afford a deficit to get bigger. So what the White Sox faced for so many weeks and months, the twins are getting a heavy dose of now and there is no good decision. So like on one hand, the guardians are not so strong that I would expect to sweep a target field. On the other hand, the conditions that the Twins are currently operating under, where you know they're missing guys and they don't know when guys are coming back, like Buxton's, uh, you know, his condition is very vague right now, and they're really missing that kind of impact performing the lineup. Like the conditions are such that, having seen the Guardians swept the Twins, I totally get it. June twenty eighth, Wes Johnson news was announced that he was leaving the Minnesota Twins for LSU. And at that moment, the Twins were 43-34. and 34. There were nine games above 500. They had a three-game lead in the American League Central. Since then, the Minnesota Twins are 26-35. and 35. They have lost eight games on the Chicago White Sox, which the White Sox, since uh, June 28th, this is really surprising, have the best record in the American League Central. The White Sox are 37-30 since June 28th. Cleveland's 35-31. and 31. So the White Sox have only gained a game and a half on the Guardians since June 28th. Uh, So that's why they're still in second place. Uh, But the Kansas City Royals have been better than the Minnesota Twins in this same time frame. The the, the Twins have the fourth Mm. best record in the American League Central since Wes Johnson left his post as the pitching coach for the Minnesota Twins. And they have allowed 288 runs uh, during that stretch. So you're looking at 61 games that they have played since their pitching coach has left, and they have allowed 288 uh, runs. So they are allowing 4.72 runs per game. And the offense, which has been a problem because of injuries, as Jim mentioned, has only scored 257 runs during this stretch. So it's kind of like a perfect storm for the Minnesota Twins. They started off the season so well, and they look like they were in a position to hold on to the American League Central with the White Sox dealing with what we've been talking about all season long. But that does seem to be a pretty big turning point is when they lost their pitching coach, Jim. Yeah, I I think, you know, I'm not necessarily going to pin all of it on it because Wes Johnson had some swings and misses too. I remember they had a little bit of that White Sox thing under Don Cooper. I think it was the 07 season when they brought in you know, David Ardsma and Andy Sisko and like all these guys throw 98 and Cooper fix them. I think they had a little bit of confidence in Wes Johnson the same way where, uh, you know, all the arms are good and he has got a plan for everybody. But then when it comes down to it, like who's going to throw the 54 innings we need this week? 
and how we're going to get there in close games. And like, Ooh, that's, that's a lot of games in a row for this pitcher, or this is, you know, this requires a starter to go longer than he normally does. And it all kind of fell through. So it could, you know, it could have made no difference or maybe they, they fall apart the same way because injuries are injuries, but you know, just how, how much of a whole staff effort it was to get through the season and how many guys needed to appear in medium leverage or higher innings to make the plan work. I did do think that they needed or, or missing their architect or the, I guess maybe the, the engineer of that because, you know, he didn't necessarily build the pitching staff or design it, but he was tasked with seeing it through having him leave probably was just, you know, long lines, of the injuries, just another absence that they couldn't take on because of all the other absences. Yeah. Cause when he was there up to June 28, the twins were only allowing 3.9 runs per game. Since he's left, the Minnesota twins are allowing 4.72 runs per game. That That's a noticeable jump. And that could be a mixture of injuries or strategy, but yeah, the Twins are not doing great on the run prevention side, and they do not help the White Sox at all. And when you look at the American League Central, Cleveland is still on pace to win 86 games. Their winning percentage would lead them to 85.7 wins. Let's roll it up to 86 wins. So if everyone in the American League Central here is trying to get to 86 wins, Cleveland has 24 games left. They only have to go 13-11 and 11 in their last 24 games to get to 86 wins. The White Sox have 21 games left. They have to go 14 and 7 to get to 86 wins. The Twins have 23 games left. They got to go 17 and 6. That's on fire to finish the season for the Minnesota Twins in order to get to 86 wins. The Guardians schedule this week, Monday through Wednesday, they're facing the Angels at home. Thursday, they have that game makeup game with the White Sox that's going to be playing at 12:10 p.m. Central Time. Friday and Sunday, the Guardians are hosting the Minnesota Twins. So the Guardians play seven straight games this week. They're all home games for them. Before you start sweating about this, they just had this stretch recently with Baltimore and Seattle, and they did not have a good stretch at home. So not all Mm -hmm. hope is lost here. But the Guardians can pretty much finish off the Minnesota Twins next weekend if they want to. The Twins schedule Tuesday through Thursday. They're at home against Kansas City. As I just mentioned over the weekend, they're going to be in Cleveland. And that brings us to the White Sox. The White Sox schedule this week, two home games against Colorado, the one makeup game on Thursday in Cleveland, and then they had to Detroit, a place where the White Sox have been playing very good baseball. So when you look at this week's schedule, Jim, are you sweating here? Are you getting nervous from a White Sox perspective? How are you feeling? The schedule is fine uh, for the White Sox. And, you know, when it comes to the standings, like I, I've been watching the standings for weeks and you, know, you always notice that the White Sox have played more games than the Twins and the Guardians. And it always seems like, how can the White Sox are playing and the Guardians are off or the Twins are off? Like, the, you know, it seems like the White Sox play every day and the Guardian Twins get like two days off a week. And then you look at this week's schedule and you see that the Twins and Guardians are playing each other five games over four days, got a double header on Saturday and then a makeup game the following Monday. So you know, a lot of the games that they've missed have been against each other. And that's why, uh, you know, they're always uh, trailing the White Sox in terms of games played. But it, this is like the White Sox. I think this is their last. I'm looking at their schedule now. Yeah, it's like their last soft week. Yes. Yeah, they have the Guardians in the middle of it, but then, yeah, Rockies and Tigers. 
Following the week, it's Guardians and Tigers. Then it's the Twins, and we'll see kind of shape the Twins are in to understand like what they're playing for. But yeah, it's Twins, Padres, and Twins. So it's this is the last stretch where they're playing. The majority of the week is against teams that have nothing to play for, uh, aside from their own personal development and maybe sorting some things out in the depth chart or trade targets or what have you. So you get, you have to feel good about that. Um, but as you know. We watched the Guardians uh, sweep the Twins and the White Sox go three and one and lose a half game. Like to me, this whole schedule comes down to that three game series the following week. White Sox against Guardians to close it out. Like that seems like, you know, that might be what seals the division if it uh, goes one way or the other, just based on, uh, you know, where the Guardians hold the high ground. And that's, you know, in that case, the high ground usually wins. Uh, the White Sox have to hope that uh, uh, the low man wins, you know, like offensive line. Like maybe, maybe they can look at it that way and say, like, we we can uh, get more leverage by driving low. And uh, that's how they have to approach it, because uh, that three game series is the real the, the biggest opportunity, both in terms of strength of schedule and head to head opportunities to make that dent. For the White Sox, let's quickly preview their next two games against the Colorado Rockies as Jim and I will have another episode for you guys to preview the Cleveland game and then the Detroit Tigers series later this week. Tuesday night, 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it's Chad Cool against Michael Kopech. Cool in his last seven games has a 9.40 ERA. His whip is almost two during this stretch. And you may think, wow, he's getting beat up at home. No, he's better at home this season. He's got a home ERA of 4.67. His road ERA is 6. So hopefully the White Sox offense has another big night against Colorado. Wednesday afternoon. This was a Wednesday night game, but it got pushed to the afternoon to help the White Sox get to Cleveland in time to play a 12 o'clock game the next day. Kyle Freeland, the lefty, will be on the mound for the Rockies against Dylan Cease. Freeland, in his last seven games, has a 4.62 ERA. At home, he has a 5.74 ERA this season, but away, he has a 3.46 ERA. That is a gigantic difference for Kyle Freeland. So we could be, even though he's a lefty, that could be quite the pitching matchup for the White Sox with Freeland against Dylan Cease. The pitching probable set this up, Jim to have Lucas Giolito make the start Thursday in Cleveland for the last game this season for the White Sox traveling to Cleveland. And looking at Lucas Giolito's starts against Cleveland, he's made two starts against the Guardians this year. At Cleveland on July 13th, he was excellent. Six of the third innings, allowed just five hits, one run, which was unearned, struck out five, walked one. The White Sox won two to one. His next start against Cleveland on July 22nd, in three innings, he gave up nine hits and six earned runs, struck out two, didn't walk any, and the Guardians won 8-2. to two. Maybe it's a bit early to think about this, but do you contemplate swapping Giolito and Cease? So Cease gets Cleveland on Thursday and Giolito gets the Rockies on Wednesday? I think you can think about it, but, you know, I guess I'd look at it in terms of, you know, they have three game series coming up and, you know, the schedule is what it is like. They they do need all hands on deck when it comes to rotation. They need all guys taking their turn. So I, I think you know, I would go with Giolito, but I would make sure, you know, do what you can to make sure that you can have an early hook. Like, I think they have to manage it like a postseason game, you know, especially if you have like, you know, a few off days the rest of the way. Like, I can see not wanting to mess with the rest too much, especially if you feel like some guys are getting worn down or, and you don't want to put like... 
more stress on Cueto, who might be, you know, kind of hitting a wall himself or, uh, you know, cease, you know, two years of making every single start. Like they might want to give him the extra day of rest to get the most out of him the rest of the way. So it does seem like, yeah, maybe seems to be the guy uh, to make such a high leverage start, but maybe they really see that extra day of rest as essential to getting the Cy Young version of Cease the rest of the way. So I don't think you can avoid Giolito too much. Like you need all five starters on hand. You need the offense picking up. And but you know, with these games being so important, I would hope to see like a shorter hook, and hope that you know by the time the rotation turns around, uh, you know, when it comes to the the weekend against Detroit, that you can count in the ability to rest some pitchers who you might, if Kendall Graven has to pitch back-to-back days or if Vince Velasquez has to go two uh, to get through the sixth, you know, like with Detroit coming up around the corner, you should be able to rest a pitcher or two in the bullpen. Uh, and if not, then the offense has problems it needs to answer. I've been on Giolito quite a bit this season. I do not like his stuff anymore. It needs to improve in the off season. We need to see better velocity from him next year. The slider needs a lot more spin. I'm starting to become not a believer in Lucas Giolito's overall pitching arsenal. That doesn't mean he can't have a good game. He showed that he could be still effective against Oakland in his last start. If he has it in him to pitch six scoreless innings, the White Sox really need that Lucas Giolito this week. They really need him to come through. It is a big game, and Lucas Giolito has pitched wonderfully for the White Sox the last couple of seasons in really big games. And he's come through before. The White Sox really need Lucas Giolito to come through on Thursday against Cleveland. Yeah, I just don't want to see one of those Johnny Cueto situations where, like, they have to get five. Like, if it's not working early, go to the bullpen. Like, just before the game gets out of hand. Like, that's how I want to see them manage it. Fun fact about Kyle Freeland, he was the, uh, he's the closest I've ever come to seeing a no-hitter in person. Uh, In 2017, he threw uh, eight and a third scoreless innings or no-hit innings against the White Sox before Melky Cabrera broke it up. Yes, I remember that weekend. I was at the game prior. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were ships passing in the night. Yes, I I think you went to the two games, or like, you went to the game I didn't go to. I went to two games. I think I went to the Friday and Sunday game. You went to Saturday. But yeah, that was the... Uh, Melky Cabrera broke it up. I'm looking at the box score right now. 126 pitches. Wow. (laughs) That's uh, something you don't see very often. No, you do not. Uh, Something else I want to just kind of plant the seed and we'll, we'll talk about in upcoming weeks here and let's see if the White Sox are still in position. Dylan Cease is on track to start the final regular season game, which could be incredibly important if the season is on the line. But because of the incredibly short turnaround from the regular season to the postseason, Cease would not be available to pitch until game three if there was one in the first round. And he'd be doing that on three days rest. Just something to think about. If the White Sox continue getting hot, if they could get themselves into first place, all right, let's think about the pitching rotation because you definitely want Dylan Cease available in that weekend and everybody gets like one day off. The regular season ends on October 5th and then the playoffs start on October 7th. Not a lot of time to get everything organized, especially for teams that are making one last dash like the White Sox into the postseason. But if the postseason chances are on the line in the final day of the regular season, you got to treat that like a playoff game. Dylan Mm -hmm. Cease is the guy that you want to have the ball right now. But again, just something to think about when it comes to the White Sox pitching rotation. Just need Lance Lynn uh, to keep doing what he's doing and 
Hopefully Michael Kopech bounces back nicely from his injury and Johnny Cueto returns to form and the White Sox will be in good shape with the starting pitching front and don't have to be too concerned about that. But something that's on my mind, Jim. Yeah, well, I think the nice thing is that, you know, with Cueto looking a little bit more vulnerable last few times out, like having Lance Lynn come back and, you know, the it's been a long road back for him. Like it took a long time, a lot of like major league innings this season to get back into shape. But having him there pitching the way he is, like it does feel like a nice backup option to cease when it comes to pitching the opening game of a postseason game, just because he would be, you know, he'd be pitching game two at this point. And, you know, both of those pitchers, one and two, need to deliver. So whether, you know, Lynn goes first ahead of Cease, like it doesn't really matter uh, when it comes to, uh, especially if you need Cease for that last series of the season to get in. Like having Lynn there is a, a fully functional, at the top of his game, throwing a curveball, uh, which he didn't do last year. Uh, that makes me feel a lot better if the White Sox get there, but of course they have to get there. Yes. So sweep the Rockies. Big game Thursday against Cleveland. Don't look too far ahead. You got to take care of business of the Rockies because as we learned in Denver, the Rockies can be pesky and they were not an easy out in Denver. Hopefully the White Sox can take care of business this time at home against the Rockies. Sweep that series and set up a big game on Thursday against the Guardians. And we'll be previewing that game later this week in another episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. But that will do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And if you enjoy our work and you want more, think about signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash Machine. Our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content like the P.O. Sox mailbag, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. You can, monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.